uh, weak and broke back here in Kentucky. Yeah. I don't know if you could look, if you looked at the O Kentucky this morning, but oh my gosh. No, I haven't looked today. Just the the um, Warren Buffett was talking about. It got a lot of attention because it was Warren Buffett, but he was talking about the states, these like pension problems. Kentucky's one of the five worst in the country. And right. Just that he would not encourage businesses to go to these states that have horrible pension situations because, you know, he just figures they'll eventually correct it with higher income tax on the mostly on businesses. And, um, so how did the pension get so out of whack? I mean, to hear, I, you know, I, I am, because it's such a scary story, I've really kind of stayed away from it for the most part. But, um, you know, I will say that it is shocking how many 55-year-old retirees you see walking around who get terrific health care and stuff like that um, in Kentucky. I mean, the public, public uh, like the public teachers, public school teachers, um, you know, they get, they make more money in retirement than what they did as teachers. And um, it's just so, I mean, it's just a huge number of people that are in these pension, yeah, but, but, these if pension they, but if they had been funding the pension properly all this time, but right. that would have never been a problem. I, I'm assuming right. at some point the state stopped funding the pension properly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part <laughs> I'd understand is that, is that both, both sides blame the other for the poor funding and over time, um, dipping into basically not wanting to raise taxes all throughout the years and instead dipping into special reserves, you know, to pay for operating expenses. I mean, I think in broad strokes, that's the answer is that like any organization, you've right. got, you know, money that you got revenue and then you got savings in broad strokes. And because it's politically bad news to, to support taxes, you just dip into savings. Well, or like they did in North Carolina a few years when I was working there, you just don't fund the pension that year. Yeah. I mean, that's what they would do in North Carolina. They did that at least twice. But but isn't that basically the same thing? It's just just taking the money that is intended for savings and redirecting. Yeah, it may not be dipping. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It may not be dipping into it, but it's subverting the the money that, you know. Right, you don't have the money, so you say, well, we'll we'll just not do the pension this year. Yeah, that's right. And and everybody does that. At least we do. I mean, we make that mistake in our family budget. Um, you know, you think, well, this is a down year, so we'll just, you know, we'll just not do savings this year, but we'll get back on track. You right. know, you do, you know, you do that kind of thing. And but it's much easier when you're dealing with the amounts of money that are going through a family budget. But now it's, you know, it's just so unwieldy. And I don't really, you know, this is where. I don't really understand kind of the the macro level. So, you know, like what's the real consequence of I mean, I guess it's just that at some point you have people that are due checks and you're not able to pay them. Pretty there's much, no, yeah. Yeah. At some point there's just like no place to So, I don't know. I probably I figure this is all headed toward eventually us being back a county of Virginia. In about thirty years or so, <laughs> that's probably you know. No, I mean, at some point you have to you either 
So, I mean, there's different ways you can approach it, right? So mm -hmm. you could change the retirement structure. Right. Right? So you force people to work. Exactly. Until they're older. Yeah. And don't give them such early retirement opportunities. That's right. phase one. So I don't know what the retirement setup is now in Kentucky, but my guess is that's something they'll have to address at some point. Yeah, exactly. And the, um, the thing, they've attempted that. They've attempted that. There's a big budget. There's a big pension overhaul um, that that got declared unconstitutional. But, but you know, it was basically, again, as I understand it, Galley. Um, and this is so loose, but, you know, initially it was a fight over, you know, the existing employees saying, hey, a pension is a promise. That was their big, you know, phrase, pension is a promise. You saw it on all kinds of signs and bumper stickers. And then it became, okay, um, you know, some adjustments there, plus new, it'll be a new deal for uh, new hires. Right, you know, right. be under different terms altogether. And anyway, whatever the, wherever that came down to this is this is bevan's big thing too but oh, i know no he's, you know, he's, he's been asked. on this all off from the beginning yeah and the people on the other side say that that the drag the, their their whole point is that that there's a level that that his is like this like drastic showboat well bevan's trying to use this if you look at what's happening across conservative states Bevin's following what a lot of states are trying to do, conservative states are trying to do, which is to mm. say, this is untenable. Yeah. We have to eliminate the pension system. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think it's Utah has completely scrapped their pension structure and essentially gone to a 403B mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what Bevan would much prefer to do because then you're putting that money into private sector hands. Yeah, right. You're taking it out of state control. Um, yeah. And you are uh, you know, cutting that obligation of maintaining that pension over so many right. years and all that stuff. So, And what's the deal? So then you give – you give the public employees, presumably they, they see a little bit more in their paycheck, but then the responsibility is on them to yeah, yeah, pretty much. Get, get their money invested. It also time. means they're going to work till they're older because it's a 403B. You know, they, they, it's not a pension. So they whatever they have in there is what they're going to have to live on, right? So they're going to yeah. work a lot longer to try to get more money in there. Right. Um, to and build it up can't. higher. Right. Right. It's not... It's not checks forever and ever until I die, right? Now, the question is, you know, to me, this always goes back to the question that nobody seems to have an answer for, which I'm sure somebody, economists, has studied this, is how much value does the pension system give the state of Kentucky? Right? You, you talk about these people walking around on state money. How much money are they putting back into the economy? What other things are they doing now that yeah. they're not working for the state, like now that they're in a position where they can start a small business because they could afford to, are they? Yeah. Is that creating jobs in the communities that they're in? I mean, those are questions I think, you know, because you're offering a good pension, what kind of people are you then getting into state service? Are they better qualified than people you'll get once that pension's yeah. not there? Yeah. You know, will that reduce the quality of work that you're getting out of your state? I mean, I think there's a lot of questions that nobody... there is. Right. And that's there's a there's, you know, that's exactly those are the kinds of things that exactly get asked. I will say that just anecdotally, 
<clears throat> I mean, one of the things is, is that it means a lot of benefit for Kohl's, uh, the Kohl's department store, because there's a lot of, <laughs> but unfortunately, the Kohl's is in Evansville, so it goes into the Indiana <laughs> state taxes. Right. But there's a lot of trips. There's a lot of trips up to Kohl's. You know, let's go up and look around up there during the day. There's some of that going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they are, that's, that's being flipped, but there, there is a, um, uh, there's some of it that's just being poured back into buying stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm sure the other thing too, that goes on, there's something about, <clears throat> there's something about like, you can, um, like for example, the teachers, they can go back to work, um, in the school system and double debt basically and get, right, right. you know, there's, there's some of that availability so um hold on that's anyway i you know i don't know but the chase is is that is that um yeah it's still it's still kind of foundering out there about what the solution to that's going to be and then, uh, there was also a story today that uh the average average college student in kentucky the average Kentucky college students debt. I was just looking at the story. Has gone up 100%. I can't wait. I'm going to write a big response to this piece. To <laughs> 100% since 2000. This is a big this is a big thing of mine. Yeah, the, the, I know it is. That's the, why I wanted to bring that the, one up. Nobody talks about in the country is yeah. this whole privatization of our university system that we've essentially done. You know, by cutting state funding to the point we have, it's essentially created all our state universities. It's turned them all essentially into private colleges. And so what are private colleges? They're more expensive. Okay. And the only way they can cover these continuous state cuts is to keep increasing tuition and try to get more students. I mean find find donors and buy and find buyers. Right. I mean David I don't know what Kentucky's like. I know at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, the last time I read about this, their state budget, state money made up 5% of their overall budget. 5%. That's amazing. Now, how is that not a private university at that point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and all the state universities are going through this. So I'm sure if you look at the amount of money the state University of Kentucky has lost from the state since 2004, it would coincide with the fact that that to it, you know, the debt has gone up 100 percent. Sure. I mean, it's insane what's been going on the last 15 years. But well, and we are one of we are one of five states, according to this article, you know, which was in the college paper at Western, the college I tell, uh, we're one of five states in the country to cut at higher education spending, state, state higher education spending, um, you know. Oh, this year? Yeah, this year. Yeah, most states are trying not to, although I think Idaho's cutting theirs again, so I don't know, but yeah, I don't know that, you know, when you decide that you're just going to gut the money that went to these universities. Mm-hmm. It's not like the universe, and and meanwhile the 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 demand for universities has gone up during that same time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I don't understand this whole idea of trying to undermine a system that brings billions of dollars back into your state. But you know, it's whatever. I don't. Um... 
I really don't understand how money works. <laughs> I mean, you know, ultimately at the, at the, I really don't get how, um, I don't know. Well, ultimately I, I think in this one, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you've got a state budget and the economy struggling. And so the state says, well, we don't want to cut money to the K-12, so we'll cut money to the higher ed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And higher eds have been very good about figuring out ways to get around that money that they got cut. Yeah. So, well, we'll raise tuition or we'll start bringing higher in... Higher directors of development will do... Right, or we'll start bringing international students or right. we'll, you know, we'll find ways to sort of make up that money difference. <laughs> Because nobody can really afford to lose 10% of their budget. Yeah. And I think over time, you're looking at probably 30, 40% over like a six or seven year period in many states' cases. And like, what business can afford that? So I, I do think it's, I don't know, it's pretty straightforward and obvious to me, but it's, I don't see it changing. I mean, the states are not going back. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to start giving more money back to the universities. Yeah. I mean, I work at a university that we're putting in a new financial system, like an HR finance system. Mm -hmm. The system we currently have in place was installed in like 1973. And so they finally decided they need to actually upgrade the system. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be about $30 million to for the initial installation and setup of the new HR finance system and then about a $7 million a year cost, maintenance cost to keep it going, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not even asking the state for money, which I think yeah. is, which I think is insane. I mean, you've yeah. got a recurring $7 million cost for a basic a, service, HR yeah. finance, like, that's yeah. the kind of thing the state should be paying for, right? Right. But I don't know. Okay. My, my confusion about money is even at a, well, either way you want to look at it, it's either at a higher level or a lower level. I don't understand where is all the money. And I don't understand, <laughs> you know, like who has it? Like how is Point, it? 0.01% of the people. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and what are they doing with it? You know, like why? They're just making more money with it. But to, yeah, I know how simplistic this sounds, but I don't understand. I mean, is it really that? Is it is it 0.01% and they, they've like gathered so much? Yes. And there's so little left over for the rest of the world or the rest of the city or country, whatever. And... You know, that's really pretty much. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Eric. I mean, there was a piece in the Times over the weekend where they were talking about the middle class and the growth of the middle class compared to the growth of the GDP. Right. And trying to figure out, like, how that's working since 1980. So they took 1980 up to present day. Okay. And the top 0.01% has grown at a rate above 400% during that time. Like their wealth has increased 
um, more than 400%. Mm -hmm. uh, GDP has increased at a rate that's like just below, like around 90% during that time. Okay. The top 1% has grown at a rate about 200% or something like that. And then the top 10% has grown at a rate equal to GDP. It's grown right at the same rate GDP's grown. Yeah. Right. And everybody else below that 90% and up group has actually further behind. They've grown slower than GDP. Right. Right. So you're literally talking about, and the, and the crazy thing is, Eric, when they talk about that top 10%, you're talking about people making like $150,000 a year or more. I mean, you're not talking about some crazy high number the vast majority of people, like 90% of the people in the country are below Yo, sure. that number and their rate of growth is lower than, it's not even close, you know, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. you, you want to know what they do with the money. I mean, the money just stays with them, right? They don't reinvest it in things that are tangible and have effect on the economy, they, they just invest it, just it in themselves. It, it just stalled out. Well, here's a great, here's a great thing to think about. So in the Bush administration, they pushed through no child left behind, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the components of no child left behind is that you, if you're a school district, you're required to buy um, materials that are approved materials, right? They have to be approved to fit into the No Child Left Behind system. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if you're a school district in Kentucky and you're going to go <laughs> buy literacy materials, you're going to have to buy literacy materials that are approved literacy materials to meet, you know, the requirements of the system, right? Yeah. Well... Who do you think pushed that law through? Right, Texans, and it all goes through a Texas school textbook. Right. I mean, the textbook companies are the ones who push that component of No Child Left sure. Behind to be a part of it. And who owns all those book companies? Yeah. It's the billionaires, people like Betsy DeVos and her family. Right. right? And so now you've got a school district in Kentucky going out and spending $168,000 on books and these kits – yeah. Right. Where if you had $168,000 and you went to buy books through Scholastic, how many books do you think you could get? Yeah. I don't God. know. Yeah. I mean, but that's how you maintain the money and to the rich, the rich, right? You, you are the rich, you make the laws. So the money keeps coming back to you. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, all that follows. Maybe it's too simplistic, but it's just, I don't, you know, I thought it was funny. One of my favorite things um, in all the little snippets you read, one of my favorite things I read recently was the, some, they're doing some kind of investigation in the, the inauguration campaign group, you know, the Trump mm -hmm. inauguration group and how they spent their money. And they were talking about the fact that they, they rent, you know, the hotel he's got in Washington. Oh, yeah. Right. So that inauguration campaign group 
was spending $180,000 a day for our conference facilities inside the hotel. <laughs> God. Now, that seems like a lot. Yeah. I can't really imagine it really costs that much to rent the space for a conference. But. So I would say, okay, so I would say I don't understand. Um, I mean, do they just, to the extent that what you're saying is correct, then I would say the first step is to say to that 0.01%, what would it take? for you to actually want to participate, you know, in the, in the, in this community, what would you, you know, what would be the inducement for you to, to want to contribute your money to, you know, the public good in some way, you know, to either get it back into the economy, spend a bunch of money, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, in a way that not just, you know, passes from one point zero one percent or to the other, but in a, in a more equitable way to where that money gets back into circulation or would you just, you know, be willing to just go somewhere else? You know, I would almost be willing to, to say, you know, that what we're doing now I don't know. Eric, unless you tax them, you're not going to get the money. You're not going to get the money unless you tax them. I don't I don't see how. I mean the 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 times that a great piece, gosh, it's been close to a year ago now, I guess, about Trump's father and his wealth. <laughs> I don't remember if we talked about that or not. But it's it's really interesting just to see how the system is structured to really support people who have a lot of money, right? Like, mm -hmm. and how they work to get around having to pay any taxes on that money. I mean, one of the things that they did was, so Trump's father, when he was older, he was sitting on about $15 million in cash. And they wanted to get the kids that cash. But if you gave it to them you know, as a gift, you have to pay, back then you would have had to pay inheritance tax, which was pretty high. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to do that. So they started, what they did essentially is they set up a company to manage, uh, well, they just set up a company that then his, that Trump's father's properties all used to purchase materials. So Trump's father would go out and say work a deal with a boiler company to say buy 10 boilers for $10,000 a piece, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then this company would go and they would buy those 10 boilers for $10,000 a piece, so $100,000. And then they, that company would then turn around and sell the boilers to Trump's company mm -hmm. for $20,000 a piece. Right. And what they did is they used that method to just, and of course, all the kids were co owners of that company. So essentially, what they did is they just slowly bled all that cash out of the Trump father to all the kids and dispersed it out as like income. Okay. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, it's funny how it works. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get people's money, you're going to have to. You're just going to have to, to pass a law. You're going to have to do it legally. You're going to have to take it legally. Pretty it's much. It's not going to be turned over. But the problem is now, I mean, what's changed now is everybody's, people have made it clear, like, they're happy to just take their money and put it into the country, you know, rather than pay tax on it. Right. Right. I mean, they don't have any loyalty to the United States. What's it to them? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Right, they live in a in a world of sixty cities. <clears throat> right, all they care about is their money. So, yeah, I don't know. That was a a, uh, a deep discussion. Depressing. <laughs> it is depressing. It is depressing. Makes us sound very liberal. We need our uh, we need our conservative counterpart. Yeah, somewhere. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that. I mean, I can imagine what our conservative counterpart would say a little bit, which is that all this is true and that, I mean, I, I can't argue that position very well, but I think what, and so, I mean, I don't want to have to, I think what he would say is, is that, <laughs> is that, that these are, this is what's going on. The policies that are going on now that are by taking away access to, inexpensive labor um, by anyway it's it's doing things to 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 set up a walled more of a walled garden that you have to 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 do business within right um, right globalization is part right. of the right that's a good point yeah so so I think that in the broad strokes, I mean, this is the this is really the 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 great um, the great problem is that is that there's such um, there's a lack of of kind of like trusting in the goodwill and for good reason. There's lack of trusting in the goodwill of like trying to work this from both angles, you know, um, and and. And everybody playing to their base, right? I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, what what a different tenor it would be if all the conversations about the border were not about was about think about think about the different national conversation we'd be having to the extent that we're having one at all. Think about what the different conversation would be is if everything coming out of the administration about border security was all about gosh, we know, we understand that people that are coming across this border are having a heart, you know, we trust that and we understand that. But by the same token, we've got problems in this country and the problem and what's going on is, is that our richest employers in this country take, take advantage of those people and are basically getting free labor, you know, cheap labor where they don't have to pay social security tax on them. Right. And that's cutting us. And it's actually, you know, we're not doing them any favors by, and and they have to live, they live illegally and in a in a darkness in this country and can't get access to police protection. Right. We've got to, we've got to stop it for their own good, and for the fact that you know our richest people are getting rich off of this. Well, and I think you could make that argument if you, you can, could show, they won't. but I think but they, you I think you could if you could make, but yeah. the, but the problem is. 
you can't make that argument when everybody knows you're not willing to actually go after the businesses. Like, yeah, right. when your focus is to crack down on the people and not the people giving them jobs, yeah, like, that's a big problem. I mean, right. and that's that was up for debate in the 90s and, and died back then. You know, that was one of the recommendations back then of the board that they put together to look at the immigration problems and are the illegal immigration problems. And one of their biggest recommendations is we've got to crack down on businesses that are, that are giving, that are employing people. And that stuff was completely, you know, shot down and dismissed and has never really been looked at again seriously. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's great that we have a president who's willing to go after this stuff as aggressively as Trump wants to, but the fact that his business takes advantage of it, you know, I mean, that just tells you right there what the real limits are to what they're willing to do. Yeah. You know, in terms of affecting the people who are making money off of it. So. Right. But I know what you mean. You make a good point. Well, I I mean, no, I think that's true. and And whether... Uh, I mean, believe me, I'm not, I don't see, um, I don't, I mean, I've got so, I mean, there's so much, there's so much about President Trump that, I mean, I can barely say those, that phrase, you know, I mean, it's just like so <laughs> abhorrent to me. So I'm not like bringing him up as a champion of, of, uh, you know, anything noble, but um, but that's ultimate, but I do think that the solution has to be, the solution somehow has to be like this sort of like, and again, I admitted from the start, I mean, I don't know anything about money. I really don't. And, but there's gotta be some kind of, of, of you take the, um, it's gotta come around from both sides both ends meeting back in the middle on the back side of like saying, um, you know, okay, yes, we're going to have border security. And the re <coughs> you know, Sorry. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's certainly beyond me, but man, we got to figure something out. I mean, we're only 50. <laughs> Too late for us. Or, no, it's not. I mean, we're only 50 years old. It's we're going to our kids now. Yeah. We're going to. So okay, I, got a, I got a different topic we can go off on before, we, okay. before we're done. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this ever since you raised the question about quadrophenia. Yeah. So, so Eric raised this question about quadrophenia, which was, if the album came out today, mm -hmm. would I still like it? Mm -hmm. And who who knows what the answer to that would be? I don't know. I mean, you would hope. Would you? Would you not? The, would you still like it? But like, if you were hearing it for the first time, would you like it? Right. You know, like right, right. as a fifty year old man. Right. Yeah. Um, and what we were talking about was, you know, this album. It's such an influential part of your life, and blah blah. blah. And then I got to listening to one of the bands I'm listening to right now is a band called Boy Harsher. Mm -hmm. which I'll be doing a review of at some point. And Boy Harsher got me to thinking about something else around music, which is how much of a band or a musical artist that you like is about their music mm -hmm. and how much is it about them? 
mm-hmm. and the act that they are. I mean, because they are an act. Right. Right. No matter who they are, they're, it's an act. Right. Um, and so how much of it is about the music and how much of it is about them and how can you separate those two things? Yeah. And um, I don't know. I got to thinking about that because this band is <laughs> – there's such a – oh, I don't know. I don't want to say pretentious, but mm-hmm. they're, they started out essentially as like a – it's a duo. It's a, a man and a woman. And they mm-hmm. started out where they would do these – and George – I think they were living in Georgia. And they would do these like uh, – poetry reading music things she would do her poetry and he would do music behind it yeah and they eventually turned this into a band and the band their music is very dark and you know it's all very dramatic and very stylized and um and it hits on a lot of notes that i really like the music because it's taking from all this like post-punk, techno, Mm -hmm. dark stuff, goth type stuff, you know. But there's a part to the album, too, where it's like, this is so over the top. It's just like too much. Right, right. (laughs) And it makes me think about a a friend of mine in college who went, um, who I knew, who just hated 10,000 Maniacs. Yeah. They couldn't stand to those maniacs. I said, "Well, why? I don't. I don't understand why you don't yeah. like them." They said, "Well, I. They saw them before they were famous." Yeah, and it was like Natalie Merchant up on stage, like reading poetry and stuff. And they just thought, "Oh my God, this is just so over <laughs> overly pretentious. Like, I can't stand these people." Right. And um, Never I don't worry know. About that. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't get past that. Right. So, right. but I do. I, I, I do wonder. You know, like how much of music is the shtick that goes with it and how much is, um, yeah, that's kind of been the news lately too with that, uh, who's that, that rap artist out of Atlanta. Is that R Kelly? No, no. The guy out of Atlanta (laughs) who got arrested by ice, Oh, okay. I know you that. know, and he's going to be deported back to England because he's actually not from Atlanta. He's actually British. Oh, and he's he's here on an overstate visa. Um, oh, okay. I don't know, but Springs. Okay, so I I know that I know that you're not much of a Springsteen listener anymore. But if you can get your hands, if you could, if you could watch. Um, Oh, I hate, hate to even say this because I know it'll not make you not want to do it. But if you see this, <laughs> the Springsteen on Broadway thing, I tried it, to watch it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I tried to. And you couldn't get into it. No, didn't grab you. Well, this is one of the things he talks about is the fact that, like, you know, he's never worked in a factory, and he he was writing songs about you know that that he he was writing songs about cars when he still couldn't drive. You know that. Um, when he first got started at having a band up until he didn't get his driver's license until his twenties and, uh, and stuff like that, you know, and it's like been this, you know, living a fraud's life, his entire life and writing about stuff. He has no clue what he's writing about and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, I thought it was really interesting and good, you know, 
to listen to. I will say that like in that, so, so the kind of like, not that this is the exact same thing, like in thinking about him, um, I really enjoyed that program. And one of the things I thought about him was how much, um, I really liked his music in spite of his act. You know, I've never been to one of his concerts and didn't really ever want to go because I actually didn't like, like the, you know, when we started listening to him, the first thing I thought about, and I like really rejected him initially because of the born in the USA cover. I was just like, this is ridiculous. You know, this guy standing there with his ass and jeans, you know, in the front of a, you know, I just thought he was silly, you know? And at that, like we were just on the cusp of starting to listen to stuff that wasn't on the radio in Paducah. And that's when we started listening to Springsteen too. And Springsteen was like on the radio more than anybody. Right. right. And on MTV and I didn't have MTV, you know, and I was kind of like rejecting that cause I was mad cause we didn't have cable. But I was trying to like project MTV because sure. of that, you know, yeah. like just because I was uh, so disappointed that we didn't actually have it. And yet I still I couldn't resist it, you know, because I just like his song. So I just think he's such a freaking great writer. Right. I still do. And it's a weird thing. Like and then like when he went through all that stuff with his first marriage and stuff like that, I was just like, Ugh. yeah. And, um, you know, so many. Th- and then. And then when it came back around, like uh, like 15 years after that, and he like when Napster was a big deal, and he was like one of the ones who was most cracking down on on having his stuff. Well, at the time, and now I kind of get it, but at the time I was like, Ugh, that's ridiculous. And uh, but I still didn't never. I just liked his. I liked his work that much, you know. Right. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I kind of realized, like, wow, I've kind of always rejected his act, but I've always, you know. I've always really liked his music, but he's the rarity in that way. You know, for me, I pretty much do have to sort of. Go so you, you like Pete Townsend's act? Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> you know, I kind of did. I mean, that was part of it. It was cool. You know, it was, you know, <laughs> the whole, um, you know, uh, Union Jack jacket and the sure. fashion guitars and the over-the-top drinking and yeah, the whole uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah, the whole bit. Yeah, I kind of thought that that was a. You know, I was so far from my own reality. I mean, that's why I liked it is because I was nothing like that. I'm not a rules pusher at all, and a boundaries pusher. But it was, you know, attractive in that way. Um, Prince, you know, I really like Prince. I mean, golly, who's led a life more different looking than from Prince than I have? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. You know, but you know, I was really. Of course, a lot. Of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I liked him. Part music, but also part of the act. You know, just his whole, his whole shtick. For that matter, 10,000 Maniacs, that's sort of like, um, you know, very ephemeral, young, at the time, young, you know, free-flowing, hippie art type stuff. I mean, I had artist parents, but we didn't, not, they never thought of them, you know, like they did the pottery stuff, but but they were business people, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. No, there was no... <laughs> you know they were they were working artists but they were they never considered them you know they certainly weren't ever hippies right <laughs> i used to kid them about that <laughs> you know my hippie parents would go to these craft fairs all weekend but <clears throat> so i don't know yeah that's a good question what about you with like um does tracy thorne have a shtick tracy thorne yeah she seems to be kind of her 
Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I think sometimes it's that's people's act, right? It's like you are who you are. Yeah. I mean, to me, oh, I, I think yeah. I think yeah. the the part about Springsteen that and maybe the reason I didn't have that much interest in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if I watched the whole thing, I'd get into it. But um, is that to me, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Like, okay, so you never worked a day, but you knew mm-hmm. people who did. You were playing music for them. Yeah. You knew who they were. You know, you, right. have, you have friends that were doing that. You went to high school with people who were doing that. I mean, that was the life around you. You know, mm-hmm. and and a good artist, a good writer, songwriter, isn't necessarily the one living the life. They're the ones observing it and taking note yeah. of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Dylan's never struck me as really the deepest thinker in the world. He mm-hmm. seems in some ways like a very shallow guy, but, mm-hmm. you know, but he could write this really deep stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm you know, somehow he was able to have these insights, even though he himself doesn't seem to necessarily be, you know. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the, the, the tension is not so much in that they think like the artist thinks that like, you know, they understand that they are writing, that they're um, not who necessarily they portray in their, in their act or in their, in their work. But it's like when you transcend to the point that you become this like icon for a whole lifestyle and, you know, like, like it seems like Dylan is very bothered by, you know, he's like spent his whole life being bothered by people who thought that he was like some guru on the side of a mountain, you know? Right. Like he just doesn't, you know, he tries to say, look, I'm just a troubadour, you know, he tries to. Um, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's funny. I was thinking music and, Mm -hmm. and what the artist who makes the music, how do you separate those, separate those two things like R. Kelly? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're a big fan of R. Kelly, sure. You know, what, what do you do? Right. With your R. Kelly music that you like so much. Um, Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I thought about that last year uh, with my album reviews. With that, the one I like so much. Um, I forget the name of the album now, but uh, I I like the was it that Sabrina Claudia album? I think I really okay. I like that album, but. You know, it's funny when you read about her, like she has this weird past where she's made all these derogatory comments toward yeah, right. people of color and all this. It's just kind of weird, like this weird backstory. To me, for, for people, for, for you and I, people of our age, the most, most um, complex example of what you're talking about, or maybe it's the simplest example, I don't know, but it's Bill Cosby. Sure. Oh, yeah, he you was, know, because not yeah. only, I mean... The Bill Cosby show was brilliant. Well, I mean, you can't underestimate how popular that show was. It was not only And popular, how influential it was. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful, particularly in the first five years or something. It was fantastic. I mean, it was, 
a great piece of art. It was totally, you know, totally laudable in every way. And then furthermore, the other thing that's complex about him is he actually did did put himself up as like, you know, he was the one who who was, um, you know, sitting on panels with um, Toussaint, you know, that uh, Dr. Alan Toussaint and stuff like that. You know, he's, um, you know, so it wasn't just that like he sort of inadvertently became this icon, cultural icon. I mean, he. It seems to me that he very much. Oh, he wanted that. Yeah, he sought that. I mean, he was the one who ran around calling himself Doctor Cosby, you know, and uh, and those sorts of things, and you know, and I don't even mean to, you know, he's a he's a product of you know second half of the United second half century of the United States, and there's that's rough. That is rough stuff. Second half twentieth century of the United States. I mean, we just really got off the rails. And to a large extent, he's just kind of like a product of, you know, having success and during that period. And, uh, you know, so I don't even really mean to, to judge him any more harshly. I don't know. But, but anyway, he's the really, you know, what do you do with him? I don't know. And what do you do with that show? And what do you do with all the great stuff that, you know, he did produce? I mean, just great. Great. Great, 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 great stuff about family and relationships and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it'd be great if people just behaved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> I feel, I mean, seriously, don't you find it incredibly easy to just behave? You don't find yeah. you know, No, I know what you mean. To break laws. You're not tempted to. No, I know what you mean. It you seems know, like it's just so much easier to be nasty. It's so much easier. We are, I mean, and that is a blessing, isn't it? Well, somebody, I, maybe it was on Cornizer, somebody, you know, talking about the Robert Kraft thing was just making the comment like, you would think there'd be better alternatives. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you got that, could, if you got that kind of money. How could, well, yeah. and, but you know, even more so, like, how, could any you know and i don't know again i just don't understand what could be possibly so tempting to live in that way you know and i guess i don't know i've never been it's never been a temptation that i've had to you know to deal with really you know very much so i I don't know i don't know what that's like I don't know what it's like to live that life and have the opportunities available. And that's a blessing. I mean, it really is because man, there sure are a lot of people that, that get caught up in all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm just like, wow, how could you think that's a good idea at all? How could it even be appealing? Right. You know, yeah. hey, I got a question for you. All right. How old do you think Lisa Bonet is? <laughs> I would guess that she is. <laughs> is she fifty-one? Yes. Ah, I knew she was really close to us. I think I, thought, I had no one. idea she was that close to us in age. Yeah, no, she's she's. I knew she was like one or two years old. I love her. Oh, she's great. I love her. Yeah, she's always been great. I I've always thought that. Um, oh, what's that movie? Uh, I'm not a big fan of the movie. You you and Go Heath really like it. Um, 
uh, the record store guy. Oh yeah, yeah, high fidelity. High fidelity. Yeah. I've yeah. always thought that he did brilliant though to get Lisa Bonet for that. That was a great. That was a great idea to involve her. I'll tell you what else she's good in is. Um, it was a giant movie. It was Will Smith and Gene Hackman. Oh yeah, yeah. She's great in that too. She's fantastic in that thing. Yeah, yeah. and again, she was a great pick for that. Yeah. 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 She was just in the news the other day because of something her boyfriend or significant other wore to the to the uh, Oscars. <laughs> her husband, yeah. Yeah, husband. Okay. Enemy of the State is the movie. Enemy of the State. Which is actually a very entertaining movie. Oh, I love that movie. I think it's very good. Oh, yeah. I think it's probably, <laughs> probably my favorite. Have you Most. ever seen... Um, now I'm going to go blank on the name of this movie. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Jersey? What's it called? Hold on. Now I got to look this up. Hold on. Uh, this is good radio. <laughs> Sorry, just saying. Sorry. Let, me, let me look yeah. online. You know, it's only a pretend show. That's true. It is only pretend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we should call this it's the pretend podcast that's a good name it is oh garden state have you ever seen garden state oh yeah 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 so yeah, I like state. one of my favorite things about garden state is that i an interview the had zach braff was on um fresh air i think it was yeah when that movie was out and he was talking about the fact, so he was in college, I think, or living in New York when he got clerks. And so okay. he was going to have to go out to LA and he had like a six month period or something like that of time to kill while he was transitioning his life. Mm -hmm. And that's when he wrote garden state and, oh, okay. and he wrote garden state with that Natalie Portman character. Oh, yeah. Based on the Natalie Portman character she played in the movie Beautiful Girls. <laughs> right? So he took that character from Beautiful Girls and wrote her as an older person and put her in this character in Garden State. Right? That's, that's what he actually based the character on. That's funny. In his mind. And so when they actually were going to make the movie... Um, they were talking about all this stuff and somebody said, well, why don't you ask Natalie Portman if she'll play the character? And he was like, there's no way she would right. ever, she would never do that. Right. <laughs> but of course she did. So she did. Uh, I don't know why wow. I just thought about that, but I, right. I always thought that's great. You know, it's like the fact that he yeah. wrote it for her and that actually, turned yeah. Out and that she, she actually did the it. Character. Yeah. So, or he wrote it with her in mind. That movie gets made fun of a lot. What, Garden State? It's kind of a, yeah. Yeah, that it's sort of like, I don't know what, two on the nose or something, but whatever. I think it's good. I, I haven't really seen good. it in a long time. I don't know if it would hold up or not. But. Oh, I think it does. I mean, I think it really does. I, I've seen, I'll bet I've seen it four times in the last five years. Oh, really? Parts of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those that, like, I mean, it's not that like I can't can't put it down, but if I'm just kind of like you know, butting around the house, I'll leave it on. You know, as long as um, there are a couple things in it that I can't, I wouldn't want Virginia to see. 
and that sort of thing. There's, you know, the drug use and some stuff like that. But there's just a lot of talk about death and it's just, it's not, I wouldn't want it to stand alone. I'd want to be in conversation with her about it. And, uh, yeah, I would so, never watch that movie with Mabel. Put it yeah. yeah. Or, or either kid for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I could see it someday, but it would have to be, you know, in context of a broader conversation. I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's, what it's also only life affirming movie, you know, but um, but it takes a lot of twist until it gets there. So, um, but yeah, if I'm like, you know, if it's just me and I'm folding laundry or whatever, yeah, I'll watch it. It's good. It's good. It's good movie. All right, I gotta go. Hi. We didn't talk about the Delaware restaurants. I thought we were gonna look at a menu. Oh well, we we have to work toward that. We'll get there. I think. We'll get there. Yeah. We. Right. I guess we had a lot on our mind. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we got back on the horse today. <laughs> we got back on the horse. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.